0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever and whenever you are in the world. Welcome to Episode 5 of the Scottish Field Podcast, released on the 21st of April 2021. My name's Kenny Smith and I'm the web editor of Scottish Field and over the next 40 minutes or so, we're going to bring you three exclusive interviews as well as telling you about a special offer if you subscribe to our digital edition. Today, we're going to get green fingers as we speak with Scottish Field's gardening writer Antoinette Galbraith. We'll have more of Rosie Martin's exclusive chat with Outlander star Sam Hewen, as well as meeting Brian Cunningham, who is not only the head gardener at Schoon Palace, he's also one of the presenters on BBC Scotland's Beach Grove. Every month, Scottish Field bring you the best of all things Scottish. Heritage, interiors, antiques, gardens, wildlife, motoring, whiskey, and country news, as well as interviews with many famous Scots names. Our May edition is now in shops, price £4.75, and you can buy it online. I'll share those details with you before the end of today's podcast. And we have a very special subscription offer where you can get a free copy of Sam Hewen's new book, Clanlands, while stocks last. Our first guest today is Antoinette Galbraith, who is one of the longest serving writers at Scottish Field. Each month, she visits beautiful gardens the length and breadth of Scotland and shares the stories behind their creation. In the current issue, Antoinette visited Ellen Bank in Kirkcouperie and here she tells us how her love of all things green-fingered began.
1: I'm Antoinette Galbraith and I'm the um, garden writer for Scottish Field and I live in the, in the borders. I live just um, south of St Boswell's and I garden myself.
0: When did your interest in gardening begin?
1: Yes, I had, a, as a child, I had a Wendy house and I had a bit of a garden around it and my mother used to pay me for the vegetables I would grow and my, my older brother was a very, very good gardener. I mean, he could garden on... A tiny piece of land make it incredibly productive and he was always making his plot very productive and making lots of money selling vegetables to my mother and my th- my little bit wasn't nearly as good but then it was more tended to be more flowers and things but anyway that's how i got interested that's how it got started
0: and how did it develop over the years
1: well my grandmother used to send me plants um, for this particular garden. And then it, and so, so the interest sort of developed, she used to send me little packets of bulbs and plants and things which I used to put in. And then my father was in the army. So we moved to Singapore. I've always, I've always liked looking at gardens. I've always liked um, going around gardens. I remember we used to go to the botanic gardens in Singapore. And I just remember I used to love looking at all the plants and you know all the completely different plants. I mean, even though I was only about five at the time. I realised that they were quite different to anything I'd seen when we were living in the south near London. Then we moved back to England and I I still went on sort of growing my vegetables, I think really, at that time. And and it it just sort of developed and we moved to France and my parents liked to go and look at the chateau and things in the Loire Valley and I was always much more interested in the gardens. Yes, it's just sort of something that really always stayed with me. And I lived in London for a bit and had a garden and would grow things there. Again, it was limited because the space was limited and I had young children and a dog. And every time we planted something, the dog would kind of muck it up. But I've always just loved having things around me, really, I think. And then then I lived in America for 11 years, and I remember the excitement of the first year living in Short Hills, New Jersey, just planting things, and the seeds shot up, and it was just so exciting. Couldn't believe it in Britain it took so long to get things to germinate and then suddenly everything was growing in New Jersey and it seemed like the land of plenty and the next thing that happened was that all the leaves appeared on the trees round about and cast the whole garden into shade which is of course what you needed because it was so hot and suddenly everything said that's it we're stopping growing so we had to re-dig you know we had to sort of put the bed elsewhere and sort things out where there was sun so the first year was a total disaster but And again, it's always been visiting gardens. i always love visiting gardens. And I think that's where the garden writing comes in, is that I just so enjoy seeing gardens and talking to the people who've created, finding out why they're doing it, what they're doing and their story. Everybody's got such a unique story and they've all come to it in a different way. How
0: did you, and when did you first come to write for Scottish Field?
1: I was doing this column i have been doing for years for Scotland on Sunday. I was talking to Roy Summers's wife, Joan, at the Highland Show. She used to man the um, Scottish field, The Stand. And she said, oh, I think they're looking for a garden writer. So I said, are you sure? Because I've approached Archie once last year. And she said, no, no, they had somebody last year, but that person's stopping doing it. So she said, why don't you just, why don't you approach him? So I approached Archie and he said, that's great. He said, there's someone else, there's Julie Edmonstone, who's interested as well. So would you be happy doing six six gardens and she does the other six and I said well actually that would suit me perfectly and so that's how it started and actually that that worked really well because then Julie and I could bounce ideas off each other and Roy and I went off a lot and we saw gardens but then Julie sort of was so busy with her own garden and she had so many balls in the air that I mean she does the occasional one but mostly it's me now so it's just one of those things that's evolved you know
0: where have you been your favourites? If you were to pick three favourites, and why would they be your favourites?
1: It's a very hard question to answer that, and everybody asks that question. The thing is, I tend to really love the garden I'm working on at that particular moment. I mean, as you as you mentioned earlier, Ellen Bank is the, the, in this month's issue, and it was so interesting going down there, because their whole life story, you know, they bought this plot of land and this this garden and the whole idea was to to have a nursery you know it was going to be a whole sort of work from home thing and and the two of them kind of creating this and bringing up their children in this wonderful wonderful place and that was you know that was their story and that was just it was so interesting so I really I've always loved that garden because I love the shape of the wall garden and it's the perfect size. And just the whole situation, you know, not far from the sea um, down in Kukubri, that sort of thing. and And just the colour and the different plants. She's got a massive variety of plants and she's always trying new plants. So I would say that... When I think back in my own garden, when I think, what might I plant? The conditions here are very different. Here on the, on the east are very different to her conditions on the west. I do often think about, you know, some of the things that she's got, like the clematis and some of the container-grown plants and things. So I would say that's a favourite. I would say also, in terms of modern gardens, I do like modern gardens. Now, I know that would never work for us here. But um, I do like modern gardens, and I do particularly like the garden of cosmic speculation. Charles Jenks's Garden Cosmic Speculation. I don't know if you, you're familiar with it, but he's done a sort of miniature version at the, at the Museum of Modern Art, and it's these incredible clean lines, you know, sort of shakes and water and, and lovely grass banks and very sort of minimalist, but actually it's incredibly hard to look after that kind of garden because keeping grass going on a slope is obviously getting it established is difficult and looking after it is really difficult. But that's the kind of just the clean line. So to visit, I think it's just absolutely fantastic. And it's just so peaceful. Um, that's two gardens. Um, another very, very special garden, which I think a lot of people love, is Lit McCloy on the Isle of Mull, which is this cottage garden that somebody called Lucy Mackenzie developed um so she she was living she was married to an italian at that time and she was living in rome and you can imagine living in rome the summers were a bit hot she came from mal so she bought this plot of land with a derelict cottage on the west coast of um of mal she bought this lovely little this this plot with this incredible view and then gradually restored the cottage and developed the garden and then when her husband died she actually moved back to Britain and before moving back to Mull she learned all about garden she went to work for, for a nursery for a garden nursery learned all about propagating plants and and that kind of thing for a couple of years so really trained herself up in a practical way. Now she lives and works full time uh, running this garden and it's open, it's open to the public and she sells plants and she sells crafts. But you've really, and so many people say to me, oh, I'd read about that garden, but I didn't know where it was. And they come around, you, you're driving along this tiny little single track road with a loch on one side and the hill on one side. You come around the corner and there's this garden. And you you have no idea, even though you've read about it and you might be expecting, you're still taken by surprise. And it's just, packed with interesting things and she had to sort of barrow the soil up the hill and down the hill and stones went up. I mean, she did everything. She still does everything herself. I mean, she's there from dawn to dusk. I know how she does it, but it's just incredible. So that's another favourite, but that's very, very personal to her, you know. You know, the list of favourite gardens. I, mean, I love grey walls, you know, the in East Lothian. I mean, they're so clever there. I mean, I know that's a hotel and it always has to look good year round, but that is a garden The advantage to that garden is that it looks good year round. You know, if you go there in the winter, there'll still be a lot to see that's interesting. And and again, it's a family garden, but it just happens to be around the hotel. And I think that's so interesting, the way that they, you know, garden that's on show the whole time, how that has to be interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's quite a long list.
0: (laughs) You mentioned the winter there. It must be quite interesting yeah. when you go around and see the same garden but at different times of the year and how they adapt with the seasons and how you <coughs> keep them looking good.
1: Yeah, and I think actually the winter is a very very interesting time in a garden. It, yeah, because obviously all the leaves have come off the trees. There's nothing there and there might just be a few bulbs coming through and the shapes of the trees and the branches and the trunks and the skeletons, the whole thing is absolutely Yeah, it's fascinating, actually. It's really interesting. I must say, I love I, I love the winter I love my own garden, and a lot of people like the winter gardens well people like reading about winter gardens and of course just with the light coming through and that sort of thing so photographing winter gardens I think must be quite fun I think Angus has always had great fun photographing and I think that was something that took Angus by surprise I didn't think he'd really thought much about a winter garden and then he found it was actually an incredibly beautiful thing with shapes and lights and, and that sort of contrast of course the day is short and then frost of course you get a a frosty morning there's nothing like a winter garden in the frost because you can really see everything you know but at the same time it's more peaceful because if you go to interview somebody who's got an amazing herbaceous border you know maybe they've got a vegetable garden as well like we have here and maybe he's they've got you know, lots of other things. You know, it's really it's it's really quite difficult because they are so busy and they don't really want to take two hours out to walk round with you. I mean, they're very nice and they do it, but in the winter, people have got lots of time, you know, they're not so busy. So that makes it quite special too.
0: You, of course, will have seen many beautiful flowers, shrubs, trees and things over the years. Do you have a particular favourite?
1: Okay, yeah, that's a, a question that a lot of people ask. I do love snowdrops myself and I've got a particular, I've got a very, very small collection of special snowdrops. And in fact, it was much better and, and it was all labelled and things, about 10 different kinds, which is enough for me probably. Till one day, my little two-year-old granddaughter was walking around the garden with me and she said... <gasps> Randy, there were these bits of black plastic <laughs> in the garden. I pulled them all out for you. And she pulled out all the labels with the names of the snowdrops. And although we went back and tried to put them back right away, it was still, I mean, it was just, of course, it was, it was the summer and we couldn't quite work out where everything was. So the whole thing fell apart. It's never been quite as good. So, I mean, I tend to be very seasonal there again. I mean, now I'm planting my seeds and my seeds are in the greenhouse. And, you know, I've got sweet peas there, which I love and I've got Nicotianas coming up and I've got Cosmos coming up and you know again I'm thinking what should I plant more of this year and and I'm not sure and you know I can see the garden from here and I've got I've got my tulips around now in the garden they've had a bit of a bashing with the frost lately but I just love tulips but then you know we haven't got many roses because I prefer to see them in other people's gardens because I don't know I just don't seem to be always very successful with roses but I do love a really good rose. Nothing beats a really good rose. And I've got some climbing through trees. You, but their bluebells will be out next. Daffodils are out at the moment. So of course now all I can think about is where am I going to put more daffodils next year? So there isn't one particular favourite, but if I if you said you've really got to have nothing else, only one, I would definitely have snowdrops because they come early in the year. That's when you need stuff, because there's leaves on the trees. After that, again, are going to be leaves. Well, not immediately, but there will be leaves on the trees. And there will always be something, you know, whereas in fe- jan- late January, February, there really isn't much else. So I think it probably would be a mass snowdrops. So I think, I mean, I have got a few specialist ones when I can identify them, but it's mostly the masses that I really love. Yeah.
0: No. Last week we brought you some of Rosie Morton's chat with Outlander star Sam Heughan when he discussed his childhood in Dumfries as well as the effect The Stars Network show has had on his life. Today Sam tells us about the places he liked to go on his holidays and the days out he enjoyed in Scotland as well as his new film SAS Red Notice in which he stars with Lord of the Rings Gollum Andy Serkis and Batwoman Ruby Rose. Over to you Rosie!
2: Do you remember any childhood retreats that you went to on holidays around, around the country?
3: Oh god, that's a good one. Yeah, because we did, we, we normally did sort of holiday in Scotland. And I remember, you know, like a, a weekend, would, you know, if they going to go to the beach, it'd be like good air.
0: Yeah.
3: And, you know, of course, Scottish summers are, you know, they're not summers. <laughs> I remember like sitting in the car and, you know, the wind and the rain and you've been in, in the sea and it's freezing cold out there. But you still went in, you know, because you're at the beach, so you have to. And I don't know, we'd like eating fish and chips, you know, in the car, like freezing cold or whatever. Or, uh, you know, actually going to Air, you know, going to the Air Gaiety, which is, you know, a theatre. And we used to take trips up to Glasgow to the Citizens Theatre where, you know, i would worked as well in my professional career. So, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of cool to revisit those as, as an adult. But we would, yeah, we would generally, you know, jump in the car and go, like, climb a hill or... Go to the coast somewhere. We used to go up to the Isle of the Egg quite a lot. My mm-hmm. uncle's from there. Or lived lived on the Isle of the Egg at the time. Yeah. So we spent a great deal of time on the island and that was that was amazing.
2: That's stunning. It's absolutely stunning that part of the world. It's amazing. It you say you went through to Edinburgh and you went was it Edinburgh Steiner school you went to?
3: Yeah. 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 Well, I I went to Gillespie's for a year and then went to the Stein school
2: what bit of advice would you give your younger self when you were back at school days?
3: I guess I went to a state school, you know, at Nicolás Base and was very lucky that we got given a scholarship, or I guess, or an assisted place to go to the Steiner School, which is a private school. But just the, the education there was incredible. It was very creative, very sort of encouraging children to sort of develop their own character, I guess. So, I don't know. I, I mean, I probably did as little work as possible and enjoyed myself as much as possible but i don't think i would change that it's certainly helped me in my career as an actor and that's when i started to explore theater and i used to i started going to the lyceum youth theater and uh, the Royal lyceum so i guess i don't know enjoy it yeah enjoy it because it, it's it seems to end pretty quickly right
2: yeah <laughs> like oh my I be to... <laughs> tell me about it yeah i don't know where time has gone yeah you've just launched the SES Red Notice movie, which it looks amazing. So what was it like working with this good psychopath? What was it like trying to channel that?
3: Yeah, we could probably talk for hours. I mean, first thing, if you don't have Sky, I think it's on Now TV. Is it? I think here, yeah, and in the US it's on Apple TV. But yes, I mean, I, I knew Andy McNabb from his books and from Bravo 2.0. I was kind of interested and fascinated already by him and then just to work so closely with him you know he gave me like total access to who he was and to his life and i could call him anytime and we we talked a great deal before we even got into shooting then in prep you know he was always on 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 call and then even during the shoot as well he was there and just to be able to like study him i think is great you know study a character and really try and work out who he is but and i think i was very skeptical at first about about his claims to being a psychopath i'm like yeah, right. Yeah. And then, uh, and actually, as soon as I, you know, read more about it and, and met him and talked to him about it, it was just, it's just so interesting and really, there's, you know, there are a lot of psychopaths out there that are, you know, good, good psychopaths.
2: Yeah. No, it must have been so interesting. I love watching that program, SES, Day, Who Days Wins. Um, mm. I guess it's, it's almost the same, but, you know, mentality and, and going about channeling, that must have been quite a challenge.
4: Yeah, well,
3: this. It's interesting. There's like the, the military side, which obviously is super interesting. And I love all of that. I'd love to do that show, two Dares Wins, because yeah. I love the idea of challenging myself. And yeah, so we had all of that, you know, learning the military side and talking to Andy about his experiences. I mean, he's done so much. He was, you know, undercover in, in Northern Ireland. He's worked in, I think, Belize. He's worked in, he's worked overseas all over and sort of quite nefarious, quite dodgy yeah. missions. But yeah, and then, then you, to, to add on to that, you know, the, the sort of psychopathy of it always is, is uh, it's really interesting. And I think at first I was kind of, not overwhelmed, but like questioned, how do you play a character that doesn't have emotions? But then I think meeting him, I realized, you know, he's, he's the most charming, engaging man I've ever met and funny. And I realized that it's all learned behavior. And, and yeah, so then I realized, you know, the character could be, you know, as charming as, as I wanted him to be, which, is, which was good.
0: Yeah. I, mean, I mean, for this, Specifically, I, did, I was in South
3: Africa and I worked with a special forces there, a guy who does a lot of Krav Maga and a lot of tactical training, you know, b- boringly, but uh, kind of fascinating, you know, like the, just drilling with like, you know, rifles and pistols and how to move, how to stand, you know, how to shoot. It's just really simple stuff, but just drilling it until it's sort of second nature. And then with Andy, we did a lot of tactical stuff, like in compounds, like learning to move as part of a unit and just, does, I guess, the psychology behind it all, you know, controlled aggression and all that sort of thing which i guess is what makes i think this movie so authentic is that it's not you know your stereotypical hollywood like you know guys with guns sort of screaming like you know full energy it, you know the sas and these special forces and, and military they you know they're professionals that's how they operate so it's
4: mm-hmm. it's actually all
3: very straightforward and i guess low low emotion you know which mm. is quite interesting and it helps for the character as well
0: And. If you join us for next week's episode, we'll share more of Rosie's chat with Sam, including his reaction to being asked about James Bond. As I mentioned earlier, we have a very special subscription offer, which is valid until the end of May 2021. For just 50 pounds, you can get a three year digital subscription and a free copy of Sam Hewins' book, Clanlands worth 20 pounds while stocks last. To subscribe and access this very special offer, visit www.mymagazinesub, which is all the one word, forward slash, Field forward slash, promo, forward slash, club, sub, Our third and final guest today is Brian Cunningham, who was born and brought up in St. Andrews. In 2012, he became the head gardener at Schoon Palace near Perth, and still holds that position to the present day. In 2015, Beechgrove visited Schoon Palace, who were holding their chilli festival, and as a result, Brian's life was changed forever.
4: Hello, my name's Brian Cunningham, I'm the head gardener at Schoon Palace, and I'm also a presenter on Beechgrove.
0: When did your interest in gardening and all things green-fingered
4: begin? (laughs) Do you know what, I can never quite judge it. Mum used to be a cleaner down at the, the bowling club. So I'm from St Andrews. Mum used to be a cleaner down at the bowling club. And um, so summer holidays and Easter holidays, you know, you went down with your mum. And I can always remember just pottering about with old Sam, the greenkeeper. And he was a lovely old man. And he, he was just sort of helpless. Obviously, he wasn't going to trust me with a moor or anything like that. But he used to help him line out the rinks and uh, maybe sort of tinkering away with the roses and the rose beds. So I think that something started there. My brain's not wired for sitting in classrooms really that sort of thing and I do remember when I was supposed to be studying I would just go out into the garden and I would tidy up the garden and make it look nice as I could then and I think that's where it really sort of hit and it was my dad that kind of picked up it, and he kind of pushed me in the direction of a, a local training scheme that was happening in the area after that. How does it develop a career as a gardener? I managed to secure a four-year apprenticeship at Craig Country Park. That was out just outside St Andrews. So that was in the, the days of North East Fife District Council. But that was in the good old days where local authorities had lots of money. And so they were, you know, these guys were going down to Chelsea Flower Show and Hampton Court, Strathclyde. You know, they were putting on big displays. So we had a range of glass houses where we were growing striptocarpus and... Cinerarias, Coleus, all for sort of making big showy gardens at all these big shows. So I feel really lucky that I got an education there. And again, being a park, you know, I was trained on Bowling Greens, Roses, hedge cutting, you know, Herbaceous. There was just absolutely everything going on. And a good old-fashioned system as well, you know, the apprentice scheme. uh, You know, rather than, I did go to college and you you got the sort of the formal training there as well, but I just enjoyed that on-the-job learning, being out and working. After that, I headed through to the Royal Botanics in in Edinburgh, they were looking for the gardeners. So I think I was seven years up at Creighton, so it was time for a wee move. And I must admit that was a wee bit of an eye opener at first, because that's where I learned that botanical gardens was all about conservation of plants and research. You know, it wasn't the big showy dahlia blooms that I was growing all of a sudden. This was, you know, looking after plants for conservation reasons. So it took a while for me to get into it, but oh, I was absolutely blown away and I was lucky to spend what, five years in the rock garden and the alpine department through Edinburgh. And that was just wonderful. That was I'm really fortunate that's that I got to spend some time there. I think I got to that point there where you started to grow up and realise that maybe I wanted to be maybe a boss, so to speak, or, or to learn a wee bit more. I think it came a point I realised I enjoyed all sorts of gardening, not just the alpine gardening. So I had a wee bit of time back at St Andrews Botanics, but then onto a private estate just outside Arctermachde, Rossi Estate. So they've got a wonderful daffodil collection there now. But you know, I was there pretty much at the beginning with the owners and sort of helping to lay out new beds and you know. And again, you know, they've got wall-trained fruit trees and we're putting a veg plots in. So It was, it was great to get that all-round experience. And then, gosh, that was about twenty years i have been a gardener then, then the, the Scone Palace job came up. Must admit, I didn't think I would get it. I actually just went for the interview for experience. But gosh, nearly 10 years later, I'm still here. So I must have done something right. I'm quite sure Lady Mansfield would have told me by now if I, if I was if I was doing it wrong.
0: <laughs> what sort of duties do you have with Scone Palace? And obviously it's one of the most recognisable places that people love to visit every year.
4: Yeah, and I didn't realise... Just what a significant gardens and grounds that they were here until I actually came here. You know, again, working at the, the lights of the Royal Botanics, I sort of learnt about Scotland's plant hunters, the men that went around all corners of the world in search of new plants, sending them back to UK. And then, you know, I realized one of Scotland's greatest, he was actually born here at school, David Douglas. You know, he served his apprenticeship here, seven year apprenticeship for moving on and having three botanical trips abroad. His most notable introduction, the Douglas fir. One tree sent by David Douglas himself and grown here in the palace nurseries is still growing in the palace grounds. So it's it's wonderful to have that connection with David Douglas here. Yeah, you're right. Under normal circumstances, so I guess pre-COVID, we were entertaining around about 100,000 visitors at the palace grounds every year between the Easter weekend and the end of October. So we were sort of part of the package, you know, trying to make sure that You know, can't deny, first and foremost, a lot of the people are coming to see the palace, but then, you know, hopefully we're then giving them attractive gardens and grounds to wander around and enjoy, and hopefully stay a wee bit longer, and then, of course, the bosses are happy, they'll maybe go and get their lunch here, so they've spent a wee bit more money, that sort of thing. When did Beechgrove come (laughs) a-knocking? Well, so we have lots of events here at Schoon Palace, and I guess that's that's one thing any garden team has to do now, because all the gardens have have to diversify. We're all, we're all looking at ways of bringing in income. And so there's lots of events happening in the around the historic grounds of Schoon Palace. And so we had one called a chilli festival. So Beachgrove Grove picked up on this. And so unfortunately for Carol, they sent Carol down. And the pair of us ended up getting involved in a chilli eating competition, which I have to say is one of the, or well, you could argue the strangest job interviews I've ever had. And one that I would never, ever get involved in again. Absolutely. So I think I managed to... Carol, she pulled out of that, so I was like, yes, I didn't get beat by a beach Row presenter. And I was determined to have a third one, and I just saw it coming, and I thought, yeah, I saw this. This just isn't fun at all. It was so, oh, it's the worst experience ever. I have never
0: heard a more bizarre job interview than
4: that. Well, it must have impressed Gwyneth Hardy. So she's the producer of Beach Row, which has been for 20-odd years, I think. So then, and again, well, I was trying to get exposure for the Palace Ground, so because I had that contact, I just... Kept in touch with them in you Grove. If ever you're looking for five minutes to fill in the programme, please come along and I'll take you around the amazing Victorian Pinetum that we have here at Spoon, the wall garden that we're working on, the kitchen garden that we've got. Um, But thankfully, um, Gwyneth came back and said, well, we're actually looking to do something more. You know, what do you get involved with? And at that time, we were working with the local primary school. So the primary fives were coming down to the kitchen garden at the last term and sort of learning how to grow veg as a sort of a wee experience. So they filmed that. And then basically, it's just kind of moved on from there.
0: It's just such a huge part of Scottish culture. Is it something that you'd watched over the
4: years? Oh, aye. I always do. I think you kind of knew Beach Grove, eh? But I wouldn't say my family were much a gardener. So it wasn't on the programme. It wasn't on the telly, you know, every Thursday or Friday night. I do remember going to my grand zoo, and I just have this image Oh, Bill Torrance. So it must have been when the move to the new site. I think my gran had a soft spot for Bill Torrance, so that's why she watched it every Thursday night. But I can do remember them going into the new garden and setting it out. Um, and I do I remember watching it a bit then. But as a you know as a young and, and learning head gardener, Jim McCall sums it up every day's a school day. So I would watch Gardener's World, and I used to enjoy Alan Titchmarsh and Chris Beardshaw when he was on it as well. But you wanted to watch Beach Grove because it was more relevant to us. You know, the Scottish climate, you know, we can be a good two or three weeks behind what they're showing, what the jobs that they should be doing down in the south of England, if, if that makes sense. You know, so Beach Grove has, has really been a big part for me and being a head gardener and making sure I'm doing my job properly. And now to be on it, it's just, I keep pinching myself, it's just a bit surreal, but it's great fun and a massive order, definitely a massive order.
0: What have been your highlights so far?
4: Gosh, I still remember the first time I actually went round the garden. I think I took a video of it. I was just sort of pinching myself. I couldn't believe I was actually there. And am beginning to redo that helping garden. I felt like an initiation. I thought, oh gosh, I better not screw this up. I'll, I'll never get on the telly again. But thankfully, I don't think I did too bad a job. But actually, do you want to know, what I know? The, the the biggest thing is? It's actually, it's when, again, pre-COVID, but when you get sent out to other people's gardens or other parts of Scotland. So, I mean, I've been lucky to visit Grampian Growers. So they they diversify. Basically, it's a, I think it's a group of about 13 farms have now joined this sort of daffodil group and basically they devoted fields to growing daffodils. So at this time of year, they'll be taking the cut flowers and they'll be, um, you know, sending them around the UK and Europe and then, of course, they can harvest the bulbs They then grade the bulbs off and they'll be selling the larger ones as well. So it's fascinating. I can always remember driving up to Aberdeen, seeing these bulbs, uh, daffodils and just wondering what on earth was going on here. So to get to go out and learn more about that. And there was this chap called Wattie Russell. I went through to the other side of Edinburgh. Guy had a really small garden, but absolutely jam packed full of plants. It was amazing to see. And so getting to see things like that and and seeing how other folk are gardening, actually, I enjoy that the most out of everything I get to do for beach growth.
0: We've had a lot of troubles, obviously, with COVID in the past 12 months. How have yourself and the other presenters found that in terms of bringing the programme to us every week?
4: Oh, it was definitely a challenge last year, because I can still remember we always have a planning meeting round about the beginning of February. So you're basically planning the first part well, everybody's putting through their forward their ideas and the things that they would like to cover this year on the on the program. And then um, at that meeting, you you kind of plan out the first 10, 12 programs, you know. So the first sort of the first third of the of the new series. So we were all geared to go, and then of course, none of us are allowed to move. And it was just well, clearly we've all got gardens, and obviously I work in a bigger garden, so does Cursey that likes to the Royal Botanics. So it was then, right, everybody just kind of thinking on their feet, how on earth can we now make a programme out of this? But actually, there's so much good things have come out of it. Because everyone was gardening at home, you know, they reckon there's about 90,000 new gardeners in Scotland on the back of lockdown, which it's a shame that we had to have a worldwide pandemic to get it. But it's fantastic that there's more gardeners out there now. And they were all sending in video clips and they were all answering questions. So on the back of that, there's quite a new format, I think, developed for the programme this year. we're all enjoying it it's it's freshened up our program that's for sure I think a lot lot of people have turned to it just to you know just to get outdoors just to get an excuse to get out and to do something and and there is a big issue there is a big thing at the moment just what a key role that gardening can play in our mental well-being you know getting out and sowing a packet of seed and just spending that five minutes every day nurturing them on and then actually growing them into plants so I think gardening, and oh, I think there's a few of us in, in the industry have this sort of feeling that they would like to see, especially at the, the time of elections. Gosh, I'm getting political here, sorry about this. But, you know, try to see gardening is as, as key to, to the recovery, to the green recovery. And as I say, just getting that time to spend five, ten minutes outdoors or if you've got a larger garden, a wee bit longer, it's amazing how it can just keep you in touch and just, just settle your nerves, that sort of thing, and just keep you focused and relaxed. I mean, again, I do it for a living, but I must admit, I think I would have been lost if I couldn't have got out in my garden, especially of late. This has been a tough lockdown, and knowing that I could just Saturday afternoon get out of my garden for a few hours to sort of help keep me level headed, that's for sure.
0: And what have we got coming up in the current run?
4: So it's fantastic. It's great that Carol's back in the garden because we were a bit worried, you know, what was going to happen this year. I think it was the right decision for us not to be in there last year. You I mean, you just were all in the unknown and we all needed to stay safe. But it's fantastic that Carol can get back into the garden. You know, the garden was left abandoned basically for months. So in the first episode, there was the head gardener, Mary, who's going to be doing a lot more on the programme this year, uh, or this side of the camera this year. You know, she just took us around the whole place. And when you see the height of the weeds, some of them were taller than Mary. You know, it was just phenomenal. So it's great how we're going to be seeing how the garden can recover. And, well, I think there's going to be a legacy of weed seeds left over from last year that we're going to have to be looking after from this year. So it'll be, you know, featuring what's going to be happening on on how to uh, to look after your garden after last year. Uh, Myself and Carol, Carol likes a wee competition. So um, we're going to be looking at heritage vegetables. So you've got your your modern day vegetables, which are maybe bred to be certain disease resistant or for higher yields. But generally, you can't keep the seeds every year. Whereas we're going to be looking at some of the older varieties, which have been passed on through generations and generations of gardeners. And they're the open pollinated, so you can harvest them seed this year. So we're going to be looking at these and comparing the results that you can get from them and the different ways that you have to look after them. George is at home in Joppa, so he's going to be doing a variety of things. Kirsty's got a new allotment, so I think she's going to be showing us it's not just vegetables that you can grow in allotments. And then we've got our new face, Callum. Callum Clooney from Leaven in Fife. Now, he's quite an amazing man, actually. So again, he kind of emerged from last year where he's, he sent in a video of what he was up to from his a lot. And so again, we are taking him on from there and he's going to be showing for growing. So for a 22-year-old getting involved in the, the competition world, it's going to be pretty fascinating to see. And it's something I've never, I've known about shows and I remember being a young lad sort of helping the judges going around marking the cards for them, that sort of thing. But I've never done it before. So I'm fascinated to see what's going to be happening. There. So a mixed bag that is going to be very exciting this year.
0: You can see Brian on Beats Grove on BBC Scotland each week. And you can follow him on Twitter at Ginger Gairdner. That's at G-I-N-G-E-R-G-A-I-R-D-N-E-R. Talking of social media, you can follow Scottish Field on ours. You can find us on Twitter at Scottish Field. We have a Facebook page, again, Scottish Field. Or you can see our Instagram page at www.instagram.com forward slash Mag, that's M-A-G at the end and of course you can pop by our website www.scottishfield.co.uk which contains unique content that you won't find in the print magazine that's all we've got time for in this episode but we'll be back with another edition of the podcast next week when we'll speak with Scottish Field's wildlife writer Cal Flynn book publisher Kay Hutchison will be telling us how her dad's book has found a new lease of life thanks to a TV star, as well as some more of Rosie Morton's exclusive chat with Sam Hume. Until then, this has been the Scottish Field Podcast. Be seeing you...